Welcome to the Dented Puck Podcast. Each week, we'll be talking about the NHL, being visually impaired, and our favorite combination of the two, blind hockey. We'll be talking shop about everything from the equipment we wear to how we've adapted our play style to fit our site. We'll also be talking to members of the blind hockey community and getting to know their stories and what has led them to the sport. We're really glad to have you with us, and we hope you enjoy the show. This is our small slice of hockey, and we'd like to think that it shows that hockey truly is for everyone. All right, and welcome back. This is episode 11 of The Dented Puck. Uh, as always, my name's Drew, and I'm joined by Tony and Josh. Boys, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's uh, the day after my birthday. Uh, the Blackhawks are going to hopefully win tonight, and I uh, get to enjoy a nice uh, dinner meal. What's up, guys? Happy birthday, Tony, again. Um, Thank you. Hopefully, the Devils get their retribution against the Sabres today. Um, play a little hockey this weekend. Well, two days in a row at, at 39. It's a lot of fun. But uh, then you got then I got to do the bike today, so we'll see how I feel tomorrow. How are you doing, Drew? Doing good. Uh, I am not doing as much exercising as you are, so I need to change that. Get on uh, it. Working. Uh, and so today we're really lucky to have uh, a guy he works with on the bench with Beaks, which was a podcast that I was on a couple months ago. Time eludes me. Uh, he also has his own podcast called Hockey Jersey Addicts uh, that I also got to be on because I have a problem like he does. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Beatty uh, is also working uh, to help promote inclusion and, and you know, working throughout hockey to, to make sure everyone knows hockey's for everyone. So, uh, Dan, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. How's it going? It's going great, Drew, and thank you. Tony and Josh as well for having me on. It's a pleasure to be on your show. It's really good to now be able to say I've been on your show as well. Yeah. Uh, we we're we're a little bit smaller, but you know we'll we'll get there. And then you can say way back when I knew these guys. <laughs> That's right for sure. So. Let's talk about the NHL because I'm excited. I don't know if you guys are, but Austin Matthews. Let's let's talk about the monster that is Austin Matthews. 18 goals, 18 games, 16-game point streak. I know he didn't score last night. I know the Leafs got shut out. Say what you will. Is there anyone better than him in the NHL right now? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> He's playing against Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> playing against like the worst teams in the NHL, <laughs> like uh, yeah, I, I mean, who do you think's better? I'd rather, I'd rather have the McKinnon on my team any day, any day. Without without a doubt, offensively McKinnon. But I and I had this conversation with Drew. I don't know where this popped up, but I was watching it, and they they showed it the offensive stats, which are out of control. But he is one, two, or three in forwards. In every defensive stat, it is out of control. Like blocks, poke checks. I don't even. Uh, I thought I thought checks was in there. Like it was insane. And I was just literally just. It, it's that's the stuff that MVPs are made of. Like besides the point streak, McKinnon's unbelievable. But those defensive stats, that's a well-rounded hockey player. Yeah, it does surprise you, doesn't it? And it's a big change from last year. And I was kind of surprised to see an article where Joe Thornton was mentioning how Matthew should be up for the heart, Selkie and Ross. And I, I was just like, seriously? And then I 
did what you did, Josh, and started digging. I was like, gosh, I don't want to agree to this, but it's a compelling case right now. I I feel like Matthews is having the kind of turnaround in his game like Madonna had when uh, Ken Hitchcock took over Dallas. Like Ken Hitchcock came in and made Madonna, who was this offensive superstar, change his game to be one of the best two-way centers in the league. And like I feel like that's where I'm seeing Matthews go in his trajectory. And I don't want to say better than Madonna, but uh, probably. Could I hope be. I mean, isn't Madonna up there as like top U.S. players in virtually everything besides Patty Kane and Brett Hull? And Brett Hull, he counts for oh, both. Jr. Um, oh no, he's so, he's better than Ronick. No, but he's in that group. So there was a um, there was a picture. Oh, so Morning Skate put a picture up of Jr. When he had the the what like the football chin mask on because I think he broke his jaw, and they said getting up on Monday morning like dot dot dot. So Jr. goes, it was game seven. You got to win, just got to win. And I was like, that's Jr. That was awesome. So, so here's a here's a question for everyone: Are hockey players the toughest athletes in the world? Because I look at like Duncan Keith got what, 11 teeth knocked out in the Stanley Cup. Jeremy Roenick broke his jaw. Uh, Was it Andrew Shaw played with broken ribs through the 2013 playoffs? Like, those are serious injuries that would put anyone down. But then you have Jay Cutler who twists, tweaks his ankle and is done in the championship game. I can't watch football because of that exact reason. It's, it's sad. I mean, uh, I no, think don't use but don't use Jay Cutler as an example. That was literally the biggest wuss move. Give myself credit for that word. Um of all of all time in football. That was terrible. But I will give you one. Rugby. I will not mess with rugby. Oh yeah. No, no way, way. Never. Not touching rugby. Yeah. yeah rug, rugby. Even pretty with my sight. Um rugby's pretty intense. Uh, I had a dude I played uh, hockey with my sophomore year, and then he he left rugby to play. He left hockey to play rugby, and he's like, "Dude, it's crazy." And he's like, "It's me." He's like, "I was a hockey, a rugby player playing hockey." Okay, I take it back. Any rugby players out there listening? I didn't mean it. You're definitely tougher <laughs> than any of us. <laughs> uh, I think uh, there's different there's different uh, uh, levels of toughness. I mean. We're going to, I'm just going to say this. Soccer is like the least, <laughs> not to be rude to soccer players. Um, I think that's definitely like the least. You obviously have to be tough to play football. Baseball, you have to be tough. I mean, they, they take 100 mile an hour pitches and some of them don't even flinch. You know, that's that's grit and, and, and toughness and whatnot. But like, like just watching like a, a American football game and like seeing these people like like oh my god I broke my finger it's just like good, good grief like so so what use your other nine what are the conferences that play each other the divisions that play each other no I, idea we're really just spitballing at this point <laughs> oh. yeah I didn't know actually how yeah how that went um well. 
here. I just I'll just do it like as if it was the Eastern versus the Western Conference. How about that? Huh? Um, Philly. Oh. Um, and uh, I think um, I think it's probably going to be Colorado too. I just think that they're they're going to make a move. I think Tatar's going to get traded from Montreal, and he might end up in um, <laughs> for the Abs or something like that. And that just wouldn't be fair at that point. They'd just have too much firepower. All right, Philly though, that's an interesting one. Oh yeah, no, they they just they got so much chemistry that team. I know they just got blown up. My my Stanley Cup final prediction at this point in the season, Montreal, Colorado. Ooh. I really want the Leafs to do it, especially with Thornton and Simmons on the team. I really want both those guys to get a cup. But I think that, like Tony said in the beginning, the North Division is defensively, for the most part, one of the weaker divisions to play against. Um I think there are a lot of guns in that that division, but you know, not not a lot of guys to stop it. Um, but I just think Montreal's got it this year. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Carey Price is ruining my fantasy team right now. Oh, I have him too. I still love him. He's my favorite goalie. <laughs> Dan, as you can tell, when we start talking about hockey, we just kind of go and we don't stop. So we <laughs> made a segment called Three Periods With. So obviously this one is Three Periods with Daniel Beatty. Uh, Tony's going to lead us off. We're going to get to know you a little bit and uh, just see where the, the road takes us. Sounds good, guys. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening to join us on our show. I know I can speak for the three of us when we say that we enjoyed being on yours and, you know, we really appreciated uh, what you did for the dented puck. And we figured we'd give you the same exact opportunity to come on here. And, you know, you're a great hockey mind. And I'm, I'm personally, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about that. So can you kind of like describe to me, like, what is your hockey background? Sure, love to. And guys, it's a pleasure to be on again. And it's really fun to be on again and talking with you all. So I'm really looking forward to the next however long this is. So um, to answer your question, I mean, my hockey background is I'm Canadian. So I think if you don't play hockey by the age of five, they'll take away your passport. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the the interesting thing for at least my neighborhood growing up is you were allowed to go home during lunch period if you lived close enough. And I did. So it was usually about 70, 80 minute break, which is oh, wow. very generous, but you're also a little kid. So I guess it made sense. And I remember <laughs> up to that point, just playing hockey with my dad in the driveway. and. Then I had this kid over one day who completely like whooped me in the driveway. And I learned that day that my dad was being very nice. And also, I don't like to lose. And so I wanted yeah. to start playing hockey. And I got involved in house league hockey, it's called. 
and played that. And then you have to do this thing called select hockey in Canada. And that's kind of like if you're a little bit better and you want to get into something beyond just your local community and travel a little bit. So I guess it would be like travel hockey. And I did that for a while um, until I was about nine years old, played on some um, all-star provincial teams and stuff like that, even at that young age. But then I moved to Chicago and that was a fun, fun 10 years of my life. I had a great time living in that city. It was a completely different experience. Uh, I do not recommend moving to the States right after the South Park movie comes out with the uh, Oscar-nominated hit, Blame Canada. It, <laughs> it will lead to a lot of bullying, but in a fun way at school, but it's hard to climb over that hill. <laughs> um, but I was the kid that showed up on like day one with pulled up tube socks and parted hair and looking to make friends. And these guys gave me a razzing. It was pretty funny. So <laughs> I, I definitely wanted to play hockey when I moved and try to make friends that way. And um, I remember my neighborhood uh, kid friend was just like, oh, well, if you just moved here, you'll be lucky if you make the team your first year. And I was like kind of unaware of hockey politics at that age, but I soon became accustomed and aware to the reality that like, oh yeah, if you weren't in the system from an early age, your chances of breaking in to the ranks that were established from mites, uh, good luck. So that was a little bit weird. I definitely proved my worth and did my country proud, though. I made some good teams eventually. And by the time I was in high school, um, I had played some AAA. I had played in the Chicago area. I had, I had done some... I had won a state championship. I had done a third place as, like, up to that point. Then I got into high school. Um, I was a forward, by the way. I, I, I played the right wing and I made the varsity top performers team in my sophomore or junior year. I can't remember of high school. And I went to new Trier high school and dude, that place is mad competitive with hockey. Um, it's like 4,100 kids that go to this school and they've got four versions of a varsity level team at this point and a junior varsity team a pretty crazy farm system i was there at years where we were recruiting kids to come play like goal for us from alaska and stuff it got it got pretty intense stuff you'd see at a prep school stuff that i like was completely unaware of at the time i was just focused on playing hockey in my community i didn't really have any bigger aspirations than that but when i made the top performer thing and I was like winning some state championship. I, I started to think about it. I'm not going to lie. And it, it became a lot more serious at that point. Um, and I didn't really get any offers after high school just because I think my size, I'm only 5'9 and 150 pounds, guys. So I think I do a little bit better now that the NHL era has changed. 
I'm, I don't even think though I was ever good enough to make the NHL by a long shot. I'm just saying like my era when I was then definitely didn't favor the shorter kid with speed. Um, right. So, so anyway, it didn't matter. I, I ended up going to university back in Canada. I'm proud to say I'm a Thunderbird alumni. I went to UBC. I played club hockey there, had a great time playing there. Um, and was living there during the 2010 Olympics, which was fantastic. Uh, definitely went outside and played street hockey the moment after Sidney Crosby scored the golden goal. Like 100% everyone in Canada did that, and I was one of those people. Um, yeah. It was a great time. So my professional career kind of faded out a little bit at that point. Not that it ever was one, but anything serious, I think I kind of played my most competitive hockey at the high school varsity level. But um, I found myself living in Australia by the age of 23. And after a year living there, it became a little bit more serious. So I, I sent for my gear and started picking up the game again and played pretty competitively in Australia for then the next two years. Um, for whatever is considered like the feeder pro league for Australia, which is saying a lot. Um, no offense to Australia. I'm just saying. Um, and yeah, I still play hockey to this day in adult league, beer league kind of style. Um, really enjoy the game. I think my favorite part about playing now is beer league and adult like it's just awesome when people are out there you're so happy when the bench is like got another couple of guys on it so you're not sucking wind the whole time so you're very used to the skill level being like on a broad spectrum and my favorite thing to do now honestly is like get out there get the puck around and see people just like having a great time learning the sport playing the sport and like scoring lots more goals so I like being the setup man and uh, man, it's just so fun and I'll never give up the game as long as I can skate. And now I'm just really focused on trying to use my skill set to try to give back to the game. Um, I'm definitely happy still playing, but I just kind of noticed maybe it's that time uh, to start thinking about coaching in some capacity or whatever, but yeah. Hey, as as pos- that's a positive and a negative. Don't don't say it's time to get away from the game, but it's always time <laughs> to start coaching. That's true. Well, well put. Yeah. One of and the I, I mean, I did get a chance, and you guys might know Little Hawks program in Chicago. Um, it's a youth program run through the Blackhawks organization. When I lived in Chicago, I did do the Little Hawks program for two summers while I was living there, and. Dude, that's so much fun. That's why I know I'm looking forward to doing more coaching. Yeah, absolutely. I think like one of the greatest parts about any sport, but especially hockey, is it's a game that's all given, you know, so much, so many people, so much. But like once you reach a certain level, you, you we all have this like epiphany or realization, however you want to look at it that it's time to start giving back to the game that's given us so much. And, you know, whether Absolutely. that's because of an, of an injury 
or just because of age or just because you know you hit your ceiling uh that's a good thing and, and i'm glad to hear it and you know over talking with you for the last two hours you know in the hour prior to the show even starting like I can truly tell that you have a humongous passion for making uh, situations the best for everyone, and you're going to be a phenomenal coach if you decide to to get after that. I thank you for saying that. You know, guys, I missed the important, the most important footnote of my entire hockey career. Um, I got to play against Drew Garza. I I wasn't even gonna. <laughs> I how could I not mention the great Drew Garza? Because you didn't even know. <laughs> but, no, no. But are there recollections of this game? Like, do you both recollect? Do you want to tell the story, Drew? Of yeah. how it just came about? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. So <laughs> we we probably only played each other once or twice. Because I think we ended up figuring out that you're a little bit older than me. Yeah, to um, be fair, that would be right, most likely. But still. It, it was scoring on the best team in the area. And the whole our whole team started celebrating, but the ref didn't see it. Nutrier got the puck, took it all the way back down and scored. I need to hear the other, the other side. Is this 100% factual? Yeah. Like, I... That's the way I remember and know it's true is I was like, well, how are we going to remember? How are we going to know? And then he was like, well, the one time I played, this is what happened. I was like, oh, shit, I remember when that happened. So it's true. And he, that's why I say the great, the great Drew Garza. He, <laughs> he, he should have rewritten our season and theirs and who knows what it could have done to both programs. I feel like it would, it was at a pivotal moment and oh, Drew, you, yeah, I'm sorry, man. You still would have won the state championship. I don't think there's any, any doubt in anyone's mind. The, the worst part would have been if I was the guy who scored the goal at the other end, but there's definitely no way that happened. <laughs> I can say that for sure. Um, but I don't know who wants to try to fess up. I'll try to get a confession out of one of the guys. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah so, it's just crazy. I think why I bring that up too is just because you guys on your show talk so much about how interconnected the hockey community is. And here's an example. I mean... We knew each other through On the Bench with Beaks podcast, but actually not. We actually played each other in a past life about 10 years earlier, which is kind of crazy. Sorry, Tony, we kind of hijacked you there. What do you mean? You guys are having a good conversation. If anything, you guys did my job. <laughs> I, I, you guys don't even know this, but I ate a steak. I ate macaroni and cheese. <laughs> I, I ate green beans. I, I did what I needed to do. Should we keep talking so you can have dessert or what? No, I, I, I had <laughs> all the dessert I could ever have wanted. I had it over the last two days. And now I will. it's like uh, the beginning of Slapshot. I need to go to the box and feel shame for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I remember playing. I always say their name wrong. I know it's Lutra, right? With an L. 
Nutrier with an N. With an N? Yeah. Yeah. See, I mean, that that's just the difference <laughs> between, you know, playing in the one division and playing in the other. But I, my team was good in high school. And we, we competed uh, quite well against uh, Glen, what, what is, Glenbrook. Glenbrook so, North, yeah. Glenbrook South. Right. So we weren't in the same conference as you guys or anything like that because we were in combined. But our team was good enough to where we could have competed with, with those teams. But that <laughs> those teams were so crazy. I mean, people people get heavily scouted out of that in high school that's as close as illinois high school hockey will ever get to being like minnesota hockey probably school. yeah you're probably right so to say that you've played on a, a team like that i mean for for all the people who aren't aware of you know high school hockey can be incredibly serious and that's definitely like the holy grail of uh, high school hockey teams here in Illinois. And in combined, it's, uh, it's Rockford. And okay. somehow, some miraculous way, I tied it with the 40 seconds left to send us into overtime against them. And, we won. and then we went nice. to state championship and we, you know, we played at the United Center and I got to sit in the penalty box. It's, uh, it was one of the most next level experiences. And like, I, <laughs> I just I remember just being so overwhelmed with so many different emotions and like it's just like I, f- I felt like I made it you know what I mean like we made the show that day I liked how like I I asked you one question and you were able to be so passionate about it with, like with your answer that I didn't even really need to ask follow up questions so I think you I think you nailed it man so okay. I, I, I'm just gonna go ahead and I'm gonna pass it over to Josh. Thanks, Tony. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, man. So we uh we were talking and you've you've already made dropped the hint about coaching, um. Hmm. And as an, from an educator to an educator, um, coaching is where it's at. As a teacher, it was really funny in my, the beginning of my teaching days, I waited. Like, it was like, I'd sit there like a kid and look at the bell and, and wait till I get the coach. Um, <laughs> so like, keep at it, like, keep at it, go for it. It's like, I've, now that I've found coaching again, it's, it's so much, like, in, uh, Mystery Alaska, players prefer coaching to playing. I mean... It's different with blind hockey, but I really enjoy coaching. So I did want to talk to you about your um, influence and what you're trying to do to increase inclusion, diversity in both workplace and in hockey. So I'd love for you okay. to talk about that. Sure. Um, so, you know, my hockey background, my professional background is I am what is referred to in my industry as an instructional designer. And the elevator pitch there is I provide instruction and training solutions for a broad spectrum of audience for the optimal solution. And it's usually, most often, but not always, in an online delivery format for full accessibility to all. And... What that really translates to is 
in most of the people in my profession, they're people that might be contacted by a university and be like, you know, we've been teaching this class in the classroom and we need to go online with it. Will you help us take our in-classroom training and make it online and make it accessible and education and government institutions fall under American Disability Act uh, compliance. So they have to have all of their materials made to be uh, compliant for those with um, learning, hearing, other impairments, disabilities, what, whatever you want to classify them as. Uh, yeah. I would classify yeah. them as yeah. di diversity and inclusion issues. Um, so a lot of people in my profession end up being those people. I am not that person. I work in the professional corporate sector. And in the professional corporate sector, you don't have to follow those guidelines and regulations. And that's kind of an issue for me because I don't like knowing that sometimes the agenda is to create the training and the metrics involved with it are how many completions were there when I would very much like to actually be making an impact with the trainings that I create. And despite the restrictions I am not under, I find it criminal to not allow people, if they had all the brain power to do something and their only inhibition was the materials that you were giving them to learn it, that's a crime. Like, make it accessible for them and then they'll flourish and probably be one of your best workers. So I have that philosophy about me, which tends to not gel super well in some areas that I am passionate about corporate wise, but when it turns to my free interest in time, it pays dividends because I love to, uh, my passions are hockey. I love diversity and inclusion. I have a master's degree in information and learning technologies from UC Denver. And my main focus during that master's was on building an accessibility platform for other people like me in my profession to learn from. And so in my free time, I find that the people most receptive to my background are those in the nonprofit sector those that need a lot of work, that those that could benefit from anyone willing to donate their free time to help out. And I've been blessed with living in Colorado. It's a very outdoor recreational friendly place. So there's a plethora of opportunity out there if you are passionate and explore them. So Tony, you're working on Pucks for Autism. Um, I've worked with... Uh, uh, Autism Climbs, which is a nonprofit here in Boulder that takes climbing gyms, yes. trains them on how to work with people that have autism, and then knows that an autistic child that goes to that climbing gym can receive training from a climbing instructor that is certified in dealing with those that have autistic needs. Wow. So that's the kind of stuff that I like to try to do. And Another example of that was um, here in Colorado. Colorado Springs has the location for the 
National Sport uh, Center for Disabilities. And Winter Park has a ski area that is flourishing in the ability to provide those in a wheelchair the capability to do sit skiing. And their program needed an over and um just with the way that they instructed mainly you know guys like with a lot of these issues time is a critical factor and you don't want to spend one or two days together learning the fundamentals if they could be taught online then everyone could show up and those weekend that you have to do this can be spent like actually doing hands-on stuff because prior you had a week and you learned all the textbook stuff online that's that's kind of what i'm trying to do so if you maximize the time program in, a, in an effective way so i tried to do that with nscd COVID happened but um i'm at the point now where i'm really inspired by you guys and the fact that you guys are trying to build towards 2026 um i'm really inspired by hockey and it's the program that could happen is not just going to benefit blind hockey. It could benefit deaf hockey, sled hockey, sledge hockey, maybe all sports. Depends who wants to get involved and to what level we can make that happen. And I'm not the only one doing this stuff. I'm exploring and finding people every day that I'm inspired by, like you guys, that deserve part of this spotlight too. So very encouraged by what we could do moving forward. So to answer your question, that's what I do in, and I kind of wear two hats right now. And I'm trying to make my full time focus more towards uh, something that will have a more lasting, sustainable impact. That's awesome, man. And we appreciate it. And I think we need it because even having conversations with Drew and then some other guys, like we are all doing a lot different things. Um, and personally, uh, I see so little, like mine's, my issue is visual field with gog with my goggles on, I'm like 2050. So it really isn't that big of a deal, but my issue is visual field. So like I've played long enough and you've played long enough. If you close an eye, you can, you know, what should be going on in that area. Like as I play the game in my head and, uh, but a lot of it is still based on talking and, and. We need to, and we need to learn the same vocabulary, and we need to learn the same positions. So when me, who needs to play the game in my head, I don't, I'm not going to tell you where to be. I'll fit what it needs to be in my head into a system, but that system is playing in my head because I can't see it. So I know where people should be. We just have to be on the same page, and I think this is a great way to do it because it's just getting videos and stuff to people. Like I like. Tony and I had the, the first time I reached out to Tony. Like I asked him what kind of defense we ran because I wanted to make sure it was de it was his own because, like I found out in uh, our adult clinic the other day, I really can't play a man defense. It's 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 like disabled abuse. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but really like just like even just building the knowledge base because a, a lot of our hockey players don't have that base of hockey knowledge and when we and we want to get that to them and we're trying to get that to the next level and that's that next level is that 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 hockey sense and that learning that hockey yeah good word sense for and sorry and learning that for someone who understands how to work with people with disabilities but also understands your 
It's just that the only issue we're dealing with is, is sight. So we have to work other ways and make sure we take advantage of things that could help that out while still training at elite level hockey. Absolutely. Well, well said. And um, before I got this master's, my undergrad was on psychology and adult learning. And I did some, you know, I just, I've listened to your podcast every episode and I'm just, the stories of people that come on here are interesting to me in so many facets, but I think there's like this Graceland moment. I want to say sometimes for people, like once they discover it, it's amazing. And I can definitely do things for the awareness. But the other part of it is I noticed some people were already playing hockey and then were blind and then did blind hockey. And then other people were discovering hockey for the first time while also being blind. And then there's people like you that are kind of in between where you're somehow this roller hockey dude who we all know could skate circles around us if only we were all on rollerblades, but we're not. So um, I digress. The point I wanted to make is like, there's, there's this interest of getting involved, but perhaps this intimidation when you arrive. And I just want to break down that barrier that we're all here. We're all very glad you're here. And we want to provide like this environment that you feel like you can flourish in with the support around you and the community, the people on the ice and your teammates. And um, I'm sure you guys would love to see that too. And I'm sure you guys have experienced that with doing tournaments together and things like that. And it means a lot to you. So um, I, I think that's important as well. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Now, okay, so I, I, I'd like an example, and this is kind of where I wanted to go. Um, how would so if you were, if you were gonna give, okay, so my boys, my teammates are are boys. They're I have two eighteen year olds and a seventeen, and they've grown up with vision. They two of them play play hockey. They play regular ice hockey, and that's how they learned. Um, but still, they learned with a visual issue, so they re- and they really haven't had the chance to develop that elite hockey sense. If you were going to give us five vocabulary words for on the ice and their definitions in in a short video, what what would what would those videos what would those words be, and how would you kind of give it to us? I love that question. I mean, I think what I love about that question too is that you're kind of understanding that it should probably only be five. It should probably only like try to stick to that simple message and then be done with it. And so you're already in the right frame of mind. And I would say um, one of them is uh, empathy. Another is respect. I don't know if these are the kinds of words you were looking for, if you were looking for like no, true, no, no, no. Like go, key go right phrase ahead. words and stuff like no, that. Go right ahead. Um, go right but ahead. The, the other idea that's just coming to mind is I might want to use instead of like a five words i might try to try to tie it to a um a hockey term and make an acronym out of it so maybe like right. pass but that's only four so i'd have to think of five or something right but, <laughs> no, but, no, well, but you see where i'm five. going need, because yeah, like then it's yeah. kind of like apply the puck method here you know for example and then people can go through those motions and go through it um the other word that I liked and that I mentioned was empathy, just because in talking to somebody else who 
was trying to experience blind hockey for themselves as a sighted person. They had uh, kind of like these filter glasses that they wore that limited their vision tremendously and allowed them to experience what hockey was like as a blind person from a certain angle or vantage point or also classic. I know because you guys have B1, B2 and, and et cetera. So I thought that was awesome. And I think what could be really cool is seeing that even though there's people within the blind hockey game already, there's the different classifications that go on and they themselves might even benefit from knowing, oh, that's what my D partner sees like because they can't see that way. That's really good to know. That's their field. Okay. That's why they keep asking for the passes in that area and stuff like that. So I've been really looking forward to exploring that option as well. So I'm not answering your question. I'm dodging it because it's hard to come up on the spot. But I hope that gives you some insight into where my head's at. No, that, that's even better than I expected. That, that's awesome. Um, I, I know, I know we, uh, we've, run, we've run a long way with this. I'm going to send this one over to Drew because, because I don't want to get too deep into uh, what, you are, what, you, what your professional is and, and, and get your secrets out there. So uh, I'm, throwing okay. this pass, I'm throwing this pass over to Drew because I can't make five letters out of it either. So <laughs> it was awesome, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. It's just pass. <laughs> yes, it's the snake. It's the snake pass. There you go. Oh, thanks for opening that wound, Dan. We, to... you, you were gonna bring it up if I didn't. Come on, it's too, <laughs> I... it's too common a thread not to mention. So, speaking of threads, um, because I would like to talk about uh, kind of some things that you think might help us progress in the future, um, but. Your your podcast is Hockey Jersey Addicts. Um, I think we both share that uh, sickness <laughs> in, in that the love of of the uniforms. Um, Guilty, how, <laughs> yeah. It, I, and I do like uh, for for everyone listening. Um, the chat is called the oh gosh, of course now I'm going to forget. It's the uh, the support group or the right. chat in uh, in Dan's Discord, which is apt. Um, how how important is a uniform for a hockey player? Oh, <laughs> what, what a great question! Um, I mean, I love my hockey team's uniforms. Over time, I'm very grateful that we've had some really sweet logos. But it's just so awesome sharing like a unified feeling that no matter you know how ugly it might be actually it's your ugly and it's your team and it it's it's to be embraced and you have to love the ugly um i think jerseys are so cool and a uniform so important too because they can tell a story of the team you're on or your community or your franchise um there's just so many examples of people going beyond just slapping um, two letters on a jersey interwoven or just they come up with really creative designs that can hide things in negative space or allude to things. And I just really appreciate that level of detail because it for someone like myself, it 
if you see four red stars on the collar of the Chicago Blackhawks stadium series Jersey, you might like think, Oh, that's really cool. And someone might be like, Oh yeah, that's the Chicago flag and be like, Oh, that's really cool. And then someone else might be like, and guess what all of these four stars stand for. And all of a sudden you've got like all of this history in, in the city of Chicago and you have a better appreciation for your team as a result of it somehow. So I just love how all of that can be displayed on a jersey in an instant, but have a lasting impact. Yeah. And one of my, we, we talked about this uh, a couple episodes ago. Um, one of my favorite jerseys across the board is the Hockey Fights Cancer uh, uniforms that they wear every year, no matter what. I, honestly, I, I love the color. I, I think they always do a good job with the blocking. Should do you, we all kind of agree that it would be great if the NHL did more, more stuff like that? And I know that um, you've had some guests that that are working towards things like that. Um, do you think that this is you know having special jerseys to bring visibility to a topic is something that the NHL is going to embrace more, or do you think they should? They are going to definitely. There's and they should. So yes and yes. Um, the longer answer is I've seen now the model that a franchise can use to make a lot of money for raising funds for a very good cause that uh, can benefit the community and that other clubs now want to emulate. So the team I've been talking a lot with through their designers and marketing department is the San Jose Sharks. And they have a great portfolio of warm-up jerseys that are coming out this year. And they benefit all kinds of different causes. And they're even smart enough to hire the right person to work on each jersey to tell a story behind each one of those jerseys. And that's Fantastic. I love that. And I just want to see that out of more hockey teams. And I, I think that's coming. I think that's inevitable. I think what's been proven over the last few years is that the Jersey market is ripe with enthusiasts and collectors. Uh, the reverse retro jerseys, for the most part, have sold out unless it was a super ugly design. They're all gone. Um, the aftermarket value is really high. And I think the league would be smart to recognize that something even like a hockey fights cancer jersey, there's a missed opportunity if you're selling out of the jerseys and then people are selling them on the second market and at that point aren't raising funds anymore. And it's also a problem to me if you're creating warm-up jerseys and auctioning them and making the starting bid $500. Let me explain. Because yes, all of those jerseys will sell, all 25 of them, and that's fantastic. So that's a significant amount of money. And yes, that's the same as making, oh, my math is going to be bad, but if instead of selling 25 jerseys at $500 a pop, 
you sold 250 jerseys at $100 a pop, you would raise the same amount of money, but you'd also have the jersey out there in more numbers. It would be a more diverse solution, equitable solution, and inclusive solution. So I think the league would be wise in recognizing that maybe that solution doesn't have to be all in jerseys. Maybe some of these designs and merchandise can go to other things. So absolutely, Hockey Fights Cancer is an example of that. They've put not only jerseys together, but they have other merchandise. And I see some of these designs coming out, one-off jerseys. And I see a bigger market than what they're producing in terms of merchandise. So the league could do well in either creating more jerseys at an affordable price or expanding those designs to be on more merchandise. So, and I mean, do you think that the the thought process behind it is if we make this uh, such a hard item to get, we'll we'll drive up the want for it? Because it's hard to say. It's how how can you measure that against desire to want to be backing a good cause as well? You know, exactly. Well, and that's my thing. You know, the the reverse retros. Sure, but you know the the hockey fights cancer. Like I said, my favorite jersey. I I still don't own one, uh, because every time I go, unless it's the week that the hockey fights cancer game happens, you can't find them. They're gone. You know they right. send ten. So, I mean, it, I guess I and I don't know if you obviously you, you wouldn't have an answer. You're not the NHL, but it just it seems silly to me like you were saying you you have this opportunity and so many people want to buy in because it's you know the blackhawks and it's supporting a good cause why wouldn't you put more out into the world yeah but drew i'll use a good analogy here like your your argument is super valid and i agree with it and because we all hate i know all of you hate if you love you know, whatever band that you listen to, the fact that unless you're right there at the website to buy the ticket, like right away, it's like, good luck. And then it's secondary market and it's blown out of proportion. And are you going to sit here and tell me that, well, if you can't go to the concert, the next best thing is a poster of the concert that you couldn't go to? Absolutely not. Right. So there's kind of this situation where some things it's like, I only want this or nothing and jerseys are kind of weird i think jerseys are kind of cool in the fact that they they're so closely tied to the game itself and the player and everything that it's kind of close as close as possible as owning a piece of the history of the game and so i think that's why people really really like if they could own something hockey fights cancer it'd be the jersey my issue is it's just not a full And I also think that this analogy I'm making um, isn't going to work super well when you start looking at one-off games, one-off jerseys and stuff. But my point is that there's certain things that like at the event, like it's jersey or bust. That's all that they're going to want. And other times like Hockey Fights Cancer, it's an ongoing initiative. It's highlighted during a certain month, but it's an ongoing initiative. So it's good to see that they're doing other things outside of this one month with other merch and stuff like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, some of these jerseys just don't translate well to anything else. Like the <laughs> that's true. Yes, I, I know. Yeah. You, I know everyone hates it already, but the stars reverse retro. They came out with a bunch of like sweatshirts and stuff, and it just doesn't. What whatever you may think of the jersey, I feel like it it makes a worse sweatshirt. <laughs> um so the let's let's talk about um kind of what you do and and how we might benefit because i i think i get the the gist of of the process but um one of the things that i that we that we've talked about on the show and and offline and all over the place is the need for a framework in order to properly kind of level up our players um, because like you said we do have guys that are blind that are finding hockey they aren't they didn't play hockey and then went blind um, and I think that it there there is a framework out there as far as training the basic skills you know skating passing shooting how how do you teach uh, a, a blind person? breakouts break-ins you know uh penalty kill power play cycling um especially if you can't visit because you know I, I i agree that i think that it needs to be kind of an online module so that parents and players can can learn um maybe at their own pace or, or redo lessons would be great but a lot of it because they are visually impaired comes down to the coach being a little more hands-on, like, hey, you're for a goalie, you know, you have to be in the butterfly, and well, this is where your leg needs to be, or this is where your arm needs to be. So how how do you properly convey that through a video online, or, or like, what would the process be for showing someone a, a more technical part of hockey? Yeah, I I mean, great question. I mean, a lot there to unpack too. So let me start by saying. I think why I might excel at something is because I surround myself with experts that are really good at this stuff. And I'm a big analogy guys, a guy, as you guys are finding out. And, you know, Josh, you're, you're a teacher. Back me up on this. You get issued textbooks to teach how well those students do in the classroom is predominantly predicated on the skills of the teacher not really the book so uh, <laughs> i don't use the book <laughs> I, exactly. I mean like i i've literally i found so many mistakes like i've first i stopped using answer keys in the back of the textbook then i relatively stopped using like full assignments for books and then i just pick and choose problems because they're they can never keep up with the the way you could the technology or they can never keep up with the ability for you to phrase it better or put a better problem together so saying that you can it, it it absolutely is correct so part of this is recognizing where to focus the attention and effort and that's why i think that fundamental skills and certain instruction in the game and stuff can be learned through video but so much of this is going to focus on developing the skills of the people in your community that you know are going to be highly motivated to do this 
because that's the only people that are getting involved with this right now. And you just want to have the playbook for them so that they can become a better teacher. And chances are these people are leaders in their community or are used to it. But if not, I mean, this is part of the discovery process. I mean, man, it's been so enlightening talking through or listening through your episodes and also talking to more people. So, I mean, the, the question is super complicated because I don't think there's one answer. It's like a multifaceted approach. Um, you can teach the skills online, sure, but I, I still am discovering what it means to make videos for people that are blind. I, I, <laughs> and I mean that in all, in all honesty, because I know blind isn't I can't see. It's I, I can't partially see or something like that. So, you know, I would love to learn from more coaches what they're doing so far before I just expect like I'm the expert that knows how to what to put in the video. I can I am definitely the person that can tell you how to deploy the videos, create a lesson plan, uh, motivate the the person at home to go through their progressions and become a better skilled player. I know I know how to do all of that, but the actual steps involved, that's where I need people like you guys and the coaches to tell me what are their biggest pain points, what are their biggest issues, and then we'll go from there. No, I I think that's great. And I, I I guess I'm sorry, I did kind of put you on the spot there. Like, give me the answer to this now. Because um, obviously it is, you know, like you said, you need we all need to surround ourselves with people that A, are good, and B, know what they're doing. Um, and no matter what you're doing, whether it's work or whatever it may be. Um, and I think it's picking up guys like you that have a passion for hockey to begin with, but also have a passion for making the game accessible. Um, I think that that's one of the one of the things that I found most uh, refreshing about the blind hockey community in comparison to the sighted hockey community. Like, like you said at the beginning, the the politic the hockey politics, especially in the North Shore where where you played and where I played, were insane for the level that some of us were playing at and you don't get that in blind hockey everyone wants to be there everyone's having a good time everyone wants to help everyone else um and i think that like you said we're, we're growing slowly but surely and it's going to be picking up key guys like you that can help us grow the sport more by properly getting the information in the correct format to the right people um, Oh, yeah, Drew. And I mean, let me tell you, while I don't have all the answers, I've certainly not felt like anyone is holding back. I've been able to feel very empowered through the conversations I've been having. Um, there's people within this hockey community at a national level that are encouraging me and are going to be helping me get involved with the Colorado Visionaries Blind Hockey Club. There's also people in my community at uh, a foundation called Dog Nation Hockey Foundation that have ties with people in at USA Hockey and other organizations that 
want to help me out. My biggest ask right now from people like you in the community is I've noticed that so many of these people are like myself that are wanting to volunteer their time. So when it comes to actually trying to pay for these implementation strategies, it's like, where's the money coming from? And I don't want to take away money from any programs. I want to create um, this program from applying for grants. And that comes from just knowing if I can partner with an organization like USA Hockey, hey, because you're uh, an organization, you can receive this grant. Let me help you write this grant so we can get this money to do this thing. And that's one angle. Another is just looking for people that are willing to point me in the right direction to talk to more people. And so I'm just kind of asking for a call to uh, action from anyone out there who knows anyone in the blind hockey or accessibility and hockey community to get in touch with me because I love talking to more people about this right now. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think, I think that's what it, it, that's what it is. It's who, you know, and talking to the next person and the next person and the next person. And then, then we have something new and and exciting. (laughs) Um, So you, I'd like to talk about the dog bowl. Um, I think it's a really great program that you are uh, a part of helping with. Um, Yeah, that's fair. Affiliated with at a minor level, but happy (laughs) to be evangelizing it until the cows come home. Yeah. So can you tell, can you tell us a little bit about dog bowl? I mean, I've obviously I've followed beaks and and them, but um, for our listeners, could you tell them a little bit about that? Yeah, it's super cool. So I think, what I love about your podcast is you guys talk about the feelings and emotions that come out when you guys are able to get together in a showcase tournament or some kind of tournament. Right. And it's, I think a really tremendous opportunity to also expose the sport to people that have never seen it before, raise awareness and really change people's perspective on what hockey can do to an individual. Would we all agree? Is that how we're all thinking? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's Dog Nation Hockey Foundation's Dog Bowl. That, that's what they do. And Dog Nation Hockey Foundation is based out of Colorado, and they are very much an organization that's about helping out the hockey community. Their, their main focus is helping families that are in need that are somehow tied to the hockey community. Uh, an example is um, there was a ref in my adult league named Butchie. Butchie was the first First Nations or, or Native American referee at a professional level. And he died on the ice tragically a few years ago. And Dog Nation stepped up and has been supporting that family in multiple ways ever since. And I'm very proud of them for doing that. And that's awesome. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely fan- fantastic. Uh, I, there's a guy that I used to play hockey with in Chicago who lost his mother and his mother was a, his rock. And they organized, they reached out to the team he was playing that night against 
and organized a way so that when the puck dropped, the opposing team stepped aside so he could skate down the ice and score a goal for his mom. Like, wow, come on, right? Like, Jesus. So I love these guys. I get teary-eyed just talking about these stories. And Dog Bowl, to me, is like trifecta for everything that I'm about. It's hockey. Dog Bowl is a, a tournament that is run that features profession, current professional hockey players, uh, veterans and wounded warriors, sled or sledge hockey players, women's hockey, and adult league rec men's hockey. It is inclusive hockey, in my opinion. It doesn't have blind hockey. It should have blind hockey. <laughs> but it, but it's, it's a fantastic tournament. And it's pretty cool. Like if it was going on, I'd totally be like on the team trying to face off against people like Milana Hayduke and be trying to put one oh, past man. him. And I'd be loving every minute of it. So um they they do a really cool thing. They they raise money by entry fees to the tournament, um, because you get to mingle and play with pro hockey players but it's just a really fun entertaining experience and there's fees involved with putting something like that on aside from the sponsorships involved it's just the least you could do to donate to a good cause they also do an auction during the tournament where it's bidding on things like memorabilia as a jersey fan you can imagine where my money goes um so it's it's just a i think this last year Despite COVID, they figured out a way to live stream most of the games and raise over a hundred thousand dollars in success. And wow. I'm just, I'm just like so proud of the people that work there. Shout out to Marty Richardson and Michael Friedman Freeman specifically, because I know those guys best, but there's a lot of guys that I love that work there. And yeah, I mean their big initiative right now is they want to raise a ton of money so that they can build the first three sheet ice rink that is built from ground zero day one with accessibility. And so they want to prove to people that if you start building things with accessibility in the forefront, it provides a better experience for everybody and does not in any way take away from the able-bodied person's experience at all. And that to me is everything. So I'm fully invested in that mission and what they're about and really, really proud that that's happening. If it, if it comes to fruition, it would be the most likely like the new training grounds for the U.S. Paralympic and sled hockey teams. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So you guys would be going there to train 2026. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, and I, I feel like that's something that a lot of people don't think about because in most sledge hockey games, they're not on the bench. They're just on the side. The, the that's sideboard. right. Um, Evanston recently got it. Robert Crown was remodeled. And we got new ranks, and they put uh, synthetic ice in the benches, and then now have clear plexiglass uh, 
end boards in oh, front of them. okay perfect so they can, they can do yes so i thought that was really cool to because i honestly i'd never unfortunately i or, or fortunately i've never had to think about playing sled hockey so i never really thought about the process of line changes and things true like you know what's nuts about that i wonder if right now if part of the sled hockey team for the nation practices out of there and the reason i say that is growing up when i went to the Winneka ice arena i would sometimes be coming off or going on the ice right after the u.s paralympic uh sled hockey team oh so i wonder could. if they've moved to evanston now I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go check it out a little bit more. Sorry, that was a bit of a sidetrack, but no, that's really not, cool. This would not surprise me. Um, Come on, Drew, go get. Let's go get our butts kicked in sled hockey. <laughs> I actually <laughs> met. I actually met one of the sled hockey girls online. I don't know if she's one of the national team girls, but this girl's a badass. I mean, and and she's like, yeah, you can come play with me. So we'll see. I and I feel like that's the biggest thing that joins all. Disable. I mean, I would say it joins all hockey, but to to a much greater extent, I feel like it's what joins disabled hockey or special hockey so much more because there are people that are doing something that most people wouldn't think they could. I mean, now we have standing amputee hockey, we have sledge yeah. hockey, blind hockey, deaf, hard of hearing. Um, you know, like the I I I love hockey. <laughs> Like it's it it's everything to me. I I watch it every night. My wife and I are huge fans, and and it's because it it truly I I truly feel like when they say hockey is for everyone that that is that is the truest statement. And it's amazing that guys like the Dog Bowl and Beaks, you know the the other show you you work with, um, yeah, man. Just the amount of stories that come out of the guys that you have you guys have on there is. It, it blows me away, and it every time it blows me away. And, and yeah, I, I, Cody, Cody's amazing in finding those stories. Huge shout out to Cody Beekman, man. That guy is awesome. Yeah, well, and that's you know we we said it on your show, and we we should say it here. The reason that the dented puck exists is because of guys like you, and and Cody. Um, you know, Cody asking me to to go on that show was I like. I'm nobody, but it, it allowed us to tell our story and get blind hockey to an area that maybe that people wouldn't hadn't heard about it before. And, you know, it's, I, I think that everyone has an interesting story to tell. It's just finding a way to pull it out of them in, in a way um, that, that everyone can enjoy, if that makes sense. It, um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when you had Kevin on, um, the Godfather, and he was trying to deflect about, ah, uh, well, it wasn't me. It would have happened eventually. It's yeah, but it happened with you. And if it didn't happen with you, maybe it would. But it happened with you, and it at that moment. So we're here that much earlier because of you. So you know, shout out to people like Kevin, dude. Those pucks they played with seems like it was like Mad Max style. <laughs> uh, like the, oh the my Duke god dude i'm like how hardcore are you people you guys blow me away but um, have you have you got to see one of the blind pucks yet in person no not i have not in person 
I haven't okay. really been going public too much with in places in general, but um, well, I've been you, hearing about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you when you get on the ice with those guys for the first time, wear shin pads. Yeah. Just, <laughs> maybe pants. Maybe just go from waist down. <laughs> that that thing is not the Cooperalls. I'll wear the Cooperalls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please do and take pictures. <laughs> white white skates and Cooper. Oh, you. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. <laughs> we're, we're not that blunt. Yeah, I was just about to say. <laughs> so we we ask everybody, because it's it's a team effort, what, in your opinion, what do you think is the best way for us as a adaptive sport, as a division of USA Hockey, what do you think is the best way for us to continue growing to get better and to have a good showing at at the Olympics whenever, whenever we finally make it there. Yeah. I've, I've been thinking a lot about this question because I know you ask it to everybody and I've had the chance to kind of give my spiel and how I personally feel like I can do my part to make an impact, but to this sport in general, um, I'm very pleased that people like you exist to raise awareness. I think if we have a tournament, are there players? Are they going to show up? And you've proven that people come out of all corners of this nation to go to a tournament. In in cases, some people fly to other countries and will participate. So I know if we put on events, it has a ripple effect, and I would like to see that happen. Um, I just am very pragmatic of the fact that COVID is preventing normalcy. So I'm, I'm a big advocate right now for trying to take the model of hockey that exists and pr prove that more communities need it. And I think that if more clubs, if they're going to be partnering with the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association um, as allies, and we're seeing allies being born out of the Hockey Diversity Alliance specific clubs instead of at the the um the league level and there's other movements like the you can play movement um out of denver for inclusivity in hockey i mean these are allies these are people that could be relied upon to help you in growing your sport but also i think that there's enough skill out there in this country you guys have talked a lot about how there's enough showcase footage out there to even prove like we are for real that um, I think a, a two pronged effort of trying to grow with more communities and partner with clubs and also um, partnering with some of these national organizations that um, are under the umbrella of the movement that you guys are about um, could serve well. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I totally agree with that, but I also feel like their agenda is so important, too, that, like, they got their own focus. You know what I'm saying? Like, especially at this time, how important their agenda is. So, like, I totally get it, and we totally have the same agenda. That's why we, we basically see eye to eye, which is why we feel the same way about a lot of things. Um, But I kind of felt this way around, so the story is, 
I took the um the level one coaching USA coaching, and I did start doing the modules. I did the disabled module. Blind hockey was not in a disabled module. I felt that I felt disrespected and I felt discriminated against. But that was literally like the second week of June. And I was like, uh, this is not my battle and this is not my time. And I kind of feel like still still kind of feel like that way. Like that's definitely something I get behind and I want to help out with that. And there are definitely groups that if it wasn't COVID time I'd be helping out with them. Um there's also a group called the Forty Three Oak Foundation. I'm gonna shout them out. They uh they definitely are in that in that realm and have invited me to play with them, mostly because they're like we want to see, like, we want to see what, what, how you can play, and we want to show our guys what you can do. Um, so I, I, I totally agree, and I, I think it's definitely awesome that you brought that up. Yeah, and and I loved hearing what you just said too. And there's already organizations that exist, R I S E Rise, for example, that is kind of training inclusivity and unconscious bias training and provides it to big companies. Their companies include the NFL and the NHL. So there's like high level stuff going, but not also from the ground up. And so I think that there needs to be a better focus or that's why I think some of the things that's where my mind as an academic and um, interested in, in trying to create like a program goes to grant money grants are out there for people like me to apply for, to then implement a program. And I think that's another step. It's just a, it's a, it's just not a very guaranteed you, you apply for something that's not, rightfully necessarily going to be given to you versus some of these other efforts where if you get a partnership with somebody you're kind of expecting okay great like what can you do for me now and it's a it's a it's a it's a collaborative effort from day zero at that point so it's kind of more like what's your patience level and so i know you ask this question to a lot of people i'm giving a long answer because i don't like to do just one thing i think everything's on a different timeline and you just kind of have to have your fingers in pots at the same time to kind of keep the ball rolling. Or, sorry, the puck sliding across the ice. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't disagree with that. I think that I think that we need to be pushing on multiple fronts, and and that's the only way that we're going to continue to to move forward and grow. Um. So my final question for. We all know that the dented puck guys were your best guest. Yes, who's, we all know who's, that. Who's second? <laughs> um, or I guess well, favorite. Okay, well, that's wrong, dude. That's that's harsh because I'm friends with. That's wrong, man. Yeah, that's on the show. wrong. Can I just he tell does, you the? He does let that me, stuff. Let <laughs> me tell you. Let me just tell you that. I released an episode today, which will probably be about a, a like five days old by the time this airs. That people should check out. Uh, I had Terry Smith on. Terry Smith is the designer of the Sharks logo, and Terry Smith is also black. And Terry Smith has been partnering with a lot of good causes lately to raise funds for 
Black History Month, including the Bowers Gate that was released a couple days ago um, that has Willie O'Ree around the print of the heel and will be worn by Black players around the NHL. And also a t-shirt that went with it that sold out Bowers' website within 48 hours in all sizes. And Terry's working on the diversity and inclusion jersey for the Sharks March 20th. And I have a meeting with the Sharks marketing team that'll be yesterday by the time this airs about what we can do about making his design for that jersey, which I've seen and is incredible, uh, more accessible to people. So we are working on things, but I want people to listen to that episode because it's incredibly inspiring about what Terry is all about. And you've asked me, like, how can jerseys help with diversity? Terry's thinking big. He's thinking sneakers, T-shirts, dope-ass skate designs and stuff like that. Like, it's pretty cool. So he's my favorite guest I've had on in the last week. (laughs) And um, he's been on twice. And he's very giving with his time. And he's always moving the needle with what can be done with design and the NHL. He's the guy responsible for the NHL properties, which is essentially the merchandising license that we have today in the NHL. This guy knows how to do these things. And it's a pleasure and a privilege to be able to have him on the podcast every night. So yeah, definitely want to give a shout out and thanks to Terry Smith. Yeah. And that, that shark's design is still, I, I mean, obviously I'm impartial, but it's one of, I think it's top three designs in the NHL in all formats, but the original one, so good. Yeah. Number uh, one of all time by hockey news. What really? Yep. Hmm. But I know if we start ranking designs and preferences, we're pretty much at opposite ends of it. <laughs> that is true. No, we that's that's another no, three-hour show. Into this. <laughs> another this, three yeah, show. exactly. Well, uh, Dan, where can the people find you in in social media in the world? Where where can they go and uh, find your podcast and and you? Yeah, sure. Um, if people want to check out my podcast, uh, Hockey Jersey Addicts is the name i the other one is on the bench with beaks that's cody beekman's i'm a pleasure to be a part of it um i'd also like to tell people go to www.danteaches.com if anything i said today at all piques interest from a more like professional and academic instructional design background because that's my portfolio and through there you could get in touch with me personally about actually moving the needle on um so thanks oh and i guess if you're really into jerseys like i am um my account for showing off my design uh my jersey collection is van can fan 70 and it's a it's an incredible collection and your game day setup with the that you can swap out the jerseys is when i move i'm gonna have one too <laughs> Well, Dan, thanks so much for for your time and for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, keep up, you have the awesome, awesome shows. And and I'm expecting we'll be hearing a lot of big things from you. 
Well, thanks, Drew, and thanks, Josh, and thanks, Tony. It's been awesome talking with you guys. Sorry, as a Canadian, for taking up so much of your time, but hopefully, you know, all together, we're all allies in this together to, like, make this a better thing, and I'm just so appreciative of you giving me the platform about myself and what we all can do together. So thank you all so much. Thank you. And uh, again, uh, I love your story and I love everything that you're doing for the game of hockey and this support that you show towards uh, all the levels of hockey and um, what you do for equality and inclusion. I appreciate you coming on, man. Is, uh, this is our second three-hour show. It's like our, our second Gilligan store. It's it's crazy, but I appreciate the, the fact that I I love hearing from educators, um, and I love coaching with educators. I, I I'd love to play with you at some point. Um, I appreciate. I hope to talk to you at some point again. Uh, and uh, good luck. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Dented Puck. We post new content every Thursday on Anchor, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at The Dented Puck and on Facebook at The Dented Puck Podcast. Send us your questions and correspondence to thedentedpuckpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you in the next one.